am in the process of making a top three list. I don't have a third one, but two of the top three, I think I've nailed down pretty good of things that are very disarming as a human being. Uh, like, for example, I guess number two on the list, which is what I'm introing with here. Number two on the list for me, and this kind of popped into my head. I don't even remember what I was looking at or what I was watching, but it's when you, as somebody, it could be girl, male, whatever. It could be male, female, whatever. Uh, if you are wearing glasses, there is nothing more disarming. Dehumanizing is probably too strong of a word, but disarming than getting your glasses knocked off and then having to go over and pick them up like that. There's not many things in this world where I'm like, yeah, I'm publicly embarrassed right now than having to go over after you got your glasses knocked off your glasses. These things that I used to see things, which by the way, if you don't know me, I can't see anything without my glasses on. I am blind as a bat in the middle of the day, uh, in the middle of daylight. I am unbelievably blind without my glasses. I cannot see a single thing. So when I get my glasses knocked off, I have to mosey on over onto the ground, wherever they got knocked off at. Got to pick them up, maybe shake them off a little bit. Cause there's something else in there. Uh, and then I got to, and then I got to put them back on. And that, that three to five second section, when you are moseying on over and picking up those glasses and putting them on is really disarming. Cause I'm like, look, yeah, this is all right. Here I am. Guess what? I have to go get my glasses because I can't see. That's all. It's so embarrassing. And I don't even know why. I, I'm probably, I don't know if I'm alone in that and pointing that out, but, uh, I, you know, it, it's just weird for me. I, I, a perfect example of it is like if you're playing basketball or something and if you're not wearing like goggles, because there are people that wear goggles when they're playing basketball, obviously. Horace Grant, the most famous, I would say. And if you're not wearing goggles, you take a shot to the noggin, right to your nostrils or whatever, shot to your face you drop your glasses, then you, you just look like an idiot. You know, everybody's kind of waiting on you. It's a bad feeling. I don't like that feeling of people just kind of waiting on you. Another one is like dodgeball. If you ever played dodgeball in high school, you got hit in the noggin. One, dodgeball is probably the worst because one, you're out. You get hit in the face, just square smack, jab, smack dab in the jaw. And then you have to go pick up your glasses and then and then walk, walk kind of uh, sadly or uh, you know, disappointingly over to the line where, you know, the people who are standing are out. That's a bad one. Dodgeball is not great. If if you get hit, if you're wearing glasses for dodgeball, that's tough because if you get hit in the face, they really go flying. If you get hit in the face in dodgeball, if you're getting hit by somebody that throws the ball well and you got to go over and pick them up, that's embarrassing. That's that. That's an embarrassing moment because you're like, wow, I'm out now. I just took one right to the face. I have to look kind of cool. Like I just wore it, um, but it looks like it hurt me, hit me pretty hard because my glasses flew 30 feet in the other direction, but I'm okay. You know, they're tiny. They're, you know, the, the foam balls or whatever, and I'm okay, but you know, it just looks like it hurt a lot more than it did. And that's how it works. It's so embarrassing. It's embarrassing to have your glasses just fly off. I don't even know where I came up with this or where I thought about this. It wasn't anything I was watching sports related this weekend. There was nobody wearing glasses that I could tell that had their glasses knocked off or anything. Another one possibly would be the people that are standing like out of bounds, uh, like the players or whatever in basketball or basketball in football. Uh, the people, the players that are standing out of bounds, probably nothing more disarming than getting knocked over by somebody coming out of the field of play and into the out of bounds area and getting knocked over. That's probably got to be pretty disarming because then everybody's like checking on you. You're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. No big deal. I'm good. But it's like, you know, Hey, we saw you get hit pretty hard. Are you sure you're good? Like that's, that's not a fun spot to be in. Cause then you got to prove to everybody you're good. And that's just kind of embarrassing too, especially if you don't have pads on or anything and you're just kind of standing there. That's got to be a very, a very disarming spot to be in. Number one on the list. That was number two, number one on the list. And this has only happened 
to a few people that I've ever seen, but this is this has got to be terrible. Um, it's when people walk in on if you're in the bathroom and you're taking the big old number two and people walk in, you know, uh, I've seen it happen a couple times where in public bathrooms, people get in fights, which talk about a top three list of places you do not want to get into a fight at a public bathroom. That's vile. I do not want to be rolling around in a public bathroom. If I'm fighting somebody, that's disgusting. You're losing two games there. Okay. It's a lose, lose. If you lose the fight, you lose the fight, but then the other losses, you're probably going to get sick. You know, you could get E. coli in those bathrooms. Not great. Just public bathroom fighting doesn't make any sense to me. But then if you're the poor sucker who's in the stall dropping the big old deucer, if you're sitting in there and then somebody comes rolling in, like opens the door because they're fighting and you just have to sit there, pants around your ankles, dropping the deucer. There is not a more vulnerable situation than that. That's got to suck and that, this is a rare one I've, i haven't seen it very often almost never but there are some fights that i've seen like in school fights uh where there's somebody in the stall dropping the deucer and then a fight breaks out and they run into the you know they're fighting and they hit they're hitting they run each other into the stall essentially and there's somebody just sitting there that's gotta suck because then you're not even, like the fight's not even the focal point of what's going on anymore it's this poor guy sitting on the toilet dropping a deuce And you're like, what is going through this guy's head? And somebody's probably filming it too because it's a fight and we all know fights get filmed no matter what. doesn't even matter where you are if you're in Antarctica. If there's a fight that breaks out, it's going to be filmed. That's kind of how fights work. And if you're just in the stall, you become become the person that's being filmed. And that sucks. That that is a very vulnerable spot to be in. That is not very fun because you're like, look, I, I got my pants down right now. Okay, I'm trying to relieve myself of the waste that is in my body. And I've got these two curmudgeons coming in here fighting what am i supposed to do about that that's number one on the list that's number one on the top three i don't have a third one but top two are definitely those two a, a decent space in between two and number one because number one that would be awful i i would not wish that upon my worst enemy having you know people walk in or run into a stall that you're dropping a deucer in and then you know you just got to sit there and wait for it to end and then hopefully they close the door maybe they don't close the door that's really awkward too but hopefully they close the door once they leave God forbid they knock somebody out too because then he's just laying there and you got to wait for them to get up and it's like do I finish my business while he's in here knocked out or what do I do and then everybody's waiting to see if that person gets up you're still sitting there trying to do your business in the stall who knows what's I'm just creating scenarios at this point but that you get my point like those are man I I don't want to be in those positions that sucks no thank you and and the glasses one that's happened to me thankfully the stall one has not happened to me I, I hope Hope to the Lord above that that never happens to me, but glasses one has. So I kind of get it, you know, the vulnerable vulnerabilities. It's something that we all kind of experience, you know, that's just, that's human. That's what makes us human is our vulnerabilities. And uh, I think the ones that unite us the most are the ones, maybe not everybody, but the ones where you get your glasses knocked off, you have to go over and pick up your glasses. It look like a loser. No offense. All right. But you kind of, you just kind of loser stuff. Uh, and then, you know, if you're sitting in the stall and the stall gets broken into and there you are just trying to relieve yourself, doing your business. Uh, what I thought was privacy is no longer privacy. Now everybody, now everybody knows what my thighs look like, you know, like that's awkward. That's really awkward. I can no, thank you. Uh, Hey, well, is this the weekend sports rap podcast? Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I always like to intro with that sort of stuff. You know, it's just stuff on top of my mind. I'm, I'm always thinking out here, you know, I'm always thinking about this sort of stuff. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, James Timberlake. We're going to talk about sports, believe it or not. Uh, so let's talk about some sports. It was a big weekend for football, obviously. We've got our Super Bowl matchup. Uh, we had the chance of having a very, very good 
there was really only two scenarios in which we would have had a bad color matchup, uniform matchup in the Super Bowl. And that would have been if the Ravens and I guess one matchup or one scenario in which the color matchup would have been bad. And that would have been if the Ravens and the Lions both won purple, blue, not a great color matchup. It's better than the one that we got personally, two different colors of red. That sucks. I don't want to have that. Um, But here we are. We now have a tough uniform matchup that I don't love. We've seen it already four years ago, and I'm a big fan of good uniform matchups. We had a good one last year, red, green, Two, you know, diff- very different colors reminded me of Christmas. Uh, but this year it's red versus red. Don't love that. I hate, I hate bad color matchups. We were on the verge of having red versus blue, like teal blue, light blue. If it were the Lions getting in because they had a big halftime lead, I was like, oh my God, we're going to get a really good uniform matchup this year. Chiefs, Lions, the, the game that started the season and would have ended the season because the Chiefs and Lions were the first game of the season, Thursday night football, week one. And the Lions won that game, and that was kind of the beginning of the uh, snowball effect, if you will, for that Lions football team that everybody was like, hey, this is a good Lions team. Maybe they have a chance this year, and lo and behold, they get to the NFC Championship game. Uh, But if they would have won that game, the Lions would have held on to that lead. It would have been a really good Super Bowl color matchup if the Lions would have come in. I don't know who would have been the higher seed in that scenario because I think the higher seeded teams usually get to pick the uniform selection. So I don't remember how they do it. I think it's, if it's a tiebreaker like that, the team that is hosting. So Vegas they're in the AFC. So I think the chiefs would have picked the uniforms. If I remember correctly, that's how it's done. If it's not based on seeds. Um, and if you know, I, I think there were both two seeds if I remember correctly. So, uh, yeah, Detroit, it would have been cool. They would have been able to maybe wear their, their light blues that they were wearing in the divisional round. I would have loved to see that. Uh, and then even if not the chiefs wear, uh, you know, their red tops or something like that. And then, you know, lions, white bottoms, uh, white, white suit, white fit, maybe blue helmets or something like that it would have been a great matchup, but that's not what we got. Fortunately, that's not what we got. We're going to have a good helmet matchup, red and gold. I like that. That's not terrible, but they're very similar uniforms. I don't love it. Um, And and that's kind of the only thing I I wanted to touch on. So that's going to wrap up the show. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, now let's talk some, uh, let's talk the championship games. We had a doozy, an absolute doozy of a first game, uh, the Chiefs and the Ravens. It really, I came into this game thinking, you know, you can never count the Chiefs out with Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback uh, in the league. I think we can have all the arguments we want to have, uh, but it, when it comes down to it, the nitty gritty, it always feels like Patrick Mahomes is going to keep teams in uh, and the Chiefs in whatever game that they're actually playing in. So uh, it felt like you know they were going to be in this game, but I was kind of I was confident in the fact that the Ravens had looked like the best team in football in the last eight weeks of the season. Essentially, they had been the best team in the AFC been the best team in the NFC. They blew up, uh, blew out the team that ended up going into the Super Bowl in the uh, 49ers, traveled to San Francisco, just blew that team out. They blew out the NFC runner-up in the Lions at home, just blew that team up as well. They just looked like the best team in the entire league. It didn't feel like uh, there was really much of a competition to that crown. And when they were coming into this game, I was like, you know, the Ravens, they're a better team, top to bottom except maybe one position, maybe two positions. I'll give Travis Kelsey the tight end spot. But even then, like Mark Andrews coming back, Isaiah Likely's played really good when Mark Andrews was out. The top two most efficient plays this season in the entire NFL was Lamar Jackson passing the ball to Isaiah Likely or uh, uh, Lamar Jackson passing the ball to Mark Andrews. So they've been 
better as a tandem with Isaiah Likely coming in outside of um, with Mark Andrews sitting out. And then when Mark Andrews comes back, that's been the best tandem throwing the football in the regular season all season long. So uh, you could argue Travis Kelsey, obviously he has the accolades and all that. Uh, and he's been just the better tight end career wise. But this season, there's not been a better uh, a better tandem than uh, Mark Andrews, Lamar, J- Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews when he was not injured. And then Lamar Jackson to Isaiah Likely when Mark Andrews was out. So you could argue only one position that they had really uh, better than the Ravens. And that was a quarterback position. That was Patrick Mahomes. Even though Lamar Jackson is going to win the MVP, he's been a better quarterback this season without a doubt than Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, in, in terms of full career accolades, what have you, Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback that you can trust in these positions to take, put teams on his back, put the Chiefs on their back and just ride him into uh, into the Super Bowl, into the big games, into the pressure moments, and he will take them where they need to go. And that was kind of what happened. That was basically what happened. They rode their two best players, especially in the first half. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey were basically just playing catch for the first half of this game. Uh, it was a lot of dink and duck stuff, and they were just rolling down the field that way. And uh, that opened up a lot of other situations that they were able to find in the intermediate intermediate part of the field with other receivers. But it was a lot of Patrick Mahomes just to Travis Kelsey for six, seven yards, first down, six, seven yards again, another first down. Uh, and that was most uh, of that first half where they were just dinking and dunking all the way down the field. They were taking whatever Baltimore was going to give them. Not to mention that they were very confident in Travis Kelsey's ability to get open against Kyle Hamilton and Kyle Hamilton being one of the best cover safeties in the entire league against, against tight ends. He hadn't allowed a single touchdown to tight ends in coverage all season long. And the, the chiefs are just like, yeah, I mean, we, we get that, but we don't care because it's Travis Kelsey. He's the best in the business of what he does at what he does, arguably the greatest of all time at what he does at the tight end position. Uh, and he wasn't targeted a whole lot. They were kind of moving him around, but he was the most targeted person when, um, when Kyle Hamilton was on at Travis Kelsey, he had four targets, four receptions, 43 yards, two first downs and a touchdown. So the fact that they saw that matchup against Kyle Hamilton and they weren't afraid to target it told us a lot of something about this Chiefs team that they weren't afraid to go away of what they knew best and what they knew worked for them. And that was kind of a big deciding factor. That was kind of the theme of the game, in my opinion, for both these teams, whereas the lot or the um, the Ravens, excuse me, they were a team that had been very good at running the football. Again, the two most efficient plays in all of football for uh for either of these teams heading into this game was the passing to uh, Isaiah Likely and or Mark Andrews from Lamar Jackson. And partially due to the coverage that the Chiefs had this entire game, as well as I think the getting away of that scheme from the Ravens really caused problems because I likely finished with three targets and Andrews Andrews finished with one target or excuse me, two targets. So the dedication to uh, the things that got them to this point, which for the Ravens, it had been the run game. Uh, Lamar Jackson was a lot better at throwing outside the numbers and throwing deep all season long, but it was really the reliance on throwing, being able to have the security blanket of Mark Andrews, of Isaiah Likely, uh, that kind of got them to this point that was so that, that made them so effective at what they were able to do throwing the football as well, uh, just kind of evaporated from this game. And the run game was completely non-existent in this game, not necessarily because the Chiefs were able to stop it. I mean, they were... Pretty effect are pretty good at stopping the run when they did run the football, but the Ravens 
for whatever reason, basically, yeah, I mean, even though they were in this game the entire time, uh, all the way up until the final, you know, final drive of the the final interception from Lamar Jackson, it felt like they, I mean, they were in this game the entire time, and they were just not willing to run the football this entire game. It felt like, and they were just reliant on Lamar Jackson able to beat this Kansas City Chiefs team through the air, and they were just totally getting away from the run. It felt like Lamar Jackson was kind of seeing ghosts at times because. Um, Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator for, uh, for this chiefs defense was basically blitzing, uh, was blitzing, uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense 43% of the time. And I think that really got into, into Lamar's head because even when they backed off, they weren't blitzing, they were showing blitz, but they weren't blitzing Lamar Jackson. It looked like was looking for blitzing positions and that got him into trouble, uh, with some people dropping back into coverage and not blitzing that caused him to see some ghosts it felt like uh and the fact that they just got away from the run game entirely did not he did not have that security blanket of either mark andrews or isaiah likely or the run game uh really really kind of affected lamar jackson and it was interesting because the bills we saw the bills against the chiefs just a week ago have that success get into 12 personnel and just bludgeon uh the the kansas city chiefs whenever they wanted to when they were running the football and it was a similar thing that bills just got away from running the football entirely in the second half even though they were clearly in the game uh and when that happened it completely flipped on its head they were they were playing the chiefs style of game and the chiefs in in obviously in my opinion uh they were more confident in their ability to do the thing that they've done week in week out essentially basically since 2019 which is Get Patrick Mahomes, move him around a little bit in the pocket, find Mark Andrews. It's going to be successful, or Mark Andrews, excuse me, Travis Kelsey, and it's going to be successful. And that's basically what happened. That, that was the entire ball game in that situation. Being able to rely on the things that got them to that point, which was the reliance on Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes being able to maneuver around the pocket. By the way, by the, by the way Patrick Mahomes got sacked for the first time this entire playoff run, which is insane to me in this game he got sacked for the first time this entire playoff run just kind of goes to show how well he is at both maneuvering around the pocket and finding open spaces in the pocket he's sneaky you know kind of sneaky athletic as well he's not the fastest quarterback in the world but he can run for some yardage as well um, but that was kind of the difference between both these teams the fact that they were able to the, the Chiefs were able to come into this game rely on the guys that got them to this point you know week in week out from years past Versus the Ravens, it felt like they had kind of approached an entirely new game plan that they were going to try to uh, implement against this Chiefs team, and it just didn't end up working. And again, it's not like the Ravens um, were blown out in this game. Like, the Chiefs didn't get everything they wanted, especially in the second half. I mean, they were pretty much shut down in the second half uh, defensively. Uh, The Ravens' defense really played a lot better in the second half in general. Uh, But even in the first half, holding this team to 17 points, the Chiefs to 17 points, if you would have told me coming into this week that the Chiefs are going to score 17 points, I would have thought the Ravens were going to win 24, 27, 17, because that's the type of offense that they had all season. Um, It was really the offense that just kind of fell apart uh, and the defense was doing its job, but the, the, the offense just really fell apart. Not to mention they, they, for whatever reason, the Ravens were just completely, completely shooting themselves in the foot. They took out a shotgun and said, Hey, is that my foot? How about I blow this off? Because that is what they were doing all game. Costly, costly penalties on defense that were giving uh, extra yardage to Patrick Mahomes, a new set of downs to Patrick, Patrick Mahomes that would have got them out of situations. Uh, Zay flowers with one of the most uh, head scratching drives of the century. He gets a huge play really felt like they were the, the Ravens were starting to break something open, got their offense going. It was a big completion from Lamar Jackson to Zay flowers. Gets all the way down inside the 15, I think is what it was, and then gets a taunting penalty, just a, a 
just in the dumbest way possible, which negates a decent amount of that yardage that they gained on that play. And then in the within mere plays later, he dies for the end zone. The guy that he taunted, Legereus Sneed, knocks the ball out. It goes into the back, end zone, back of the end zone for a touchback. And the game completely flips on its head from that point on. Just a disastrous set of plays from Zay Flowers. But that was just kind of one. Of, that's the one that's going to stand out in terms of guys that were shooting themselves in the foot. There are plenty of other situations, uh, a couple roughing the passer calls that get, ended up giving Patrick Mahomes a first down on an incompletion or a completion that was short of the sticks uh, that would have resulted in like a third and long or something like that. Just uh, so many plays where I was like, wow, the, the Ravens want to lose this game. <laughs> they are doing everything they can to, to lose this football game. And they were still in it all the way to the end uh, and just seven points away from tying this game up and going into overtime. So that shows how how close uh, the Ravens really were to getting into. I, I mean, again, they were just sh- like, this was one of the best games that chiefs had played up until this point, in my opinion, especially defensively, the fact that they were able to slow down um, the Ravens as much as they did. And granted, like I said, I think a lot of that also goes into, you know, the, the play calling that was done by the Ravens. There was just not a huge mix of what they were doing effectively all season long uh, for the Ravens, but the chiefs, whatever the Ravens were wanting to do, they were able to really limit the ability of Lamar Jackson, the MVP of the league going, who will, will be, will be the MVP um, at the end of the season. Uh, they were just limiting him and his ability and his scramble ability wasn't there. He made an incredible play where he caught a ball off of somebody's helmet uh, and then, or a tip pass, caught a ball, ran it by himself. And that was probably one of the biggest games or biggest plays that he had all day. It was just a, a very head scratching Head-scratching game from the Baltimore Ravens. This did feel like it was their year. Uh, I thought for sure. Like Again, this was the best team in the AFC up until this point, in my opinion. Like, just look top to bottom like the best team. They were mean. They were ferocious on defense. They didn't feel like they really had any chinks in their armor on defense. Uh, and on offense, obviously, the MVP. Their run game was stellar. They had, again, two of the most efficient plays in all of the NFL when passing to Isaiah Likely or Mark Andrews up to this point. Uh, and they had a game, uh, a very good game-changing wide receiver out there in Zay Flowers. And it all just fell apart, especially on offense. All just fell apart, uh, in the, especially in the, in the first half and into the second half as well uh, for this Baltimore Ravens team. So, unbelievable just a, a something i did not expect to happen i thought the chiefs would have covered i thought it was going to be a close game uh but for the most part the chiefs basically dominated this game even though the uh the, the scoreboard doesn't necessarily show it felt like they were in control for a lot of this game and most of it came from the ravens just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again um and giving that many chances to a guy like patrick mahomes and a team like the chiefs with the experience that they have it is not a good idea to do that because of the experience that they have. Uh, they are going to capitalize on those positions. And that is what they did. They did exactly what they needed to, to move on to the Super Bowl. And by the way, one of my favorite plays in the entire game, it wasn't Lamar Jackson catching the ball that he threw to somebody else that was tipped in the air, caught it. It wasn't Travis Kelsey's crazy catch, a diving backwards catch. None of that it wasn't Zay Flowers getting a taunting penalty. No, it was. MVS Marquez Valdez Scantling getting his redemption catch. It was a, a nice little 25 yard pass to get them past the six, get them the first down uh, sub two minute warning and basically ice the game after so much we've seen of Marquez Valdez Scantling uh, being plagued by drops, dropping passes throughout the season. He gets the one that ices them, gets them into the Super Bowl, gets them underneath the two minute warning and they could just kneel the rest of the game out 
It was very cool. And it was not an easy catch. It was a difficult catch. He was falling onto his back and he was able to hold onto the football as he was going down with it. A very cool catch. Very cool moment by MVS. Him being able to get that redemption catch. That redemption catch for the ages that sends them to the Super Bowl. It was very cool to see that. And I'm not I'm not necessarily a Chiefs fan, but I was like, that was cool. That's a cool moment because he has been, you know, kind of taunted for the his inability to catch the football. Some seriously bad drops throughout the season. And then there, when it mattered most, he comes up with the, the difficult catch to send them to the Super Bowl. I thought that was the coolest moment of that entire game. Uh, and Mahomes and the Chiefs, man, what more can you say? They're just inevitable at this point. Like, it, I think at this point, we can have all the talk we want through the 16 weeks of the season. Lamar Jackson is going to be in the, the MVP. He's the best player in the, the regular season this year, without a doubt. But there's no team you want to face. I don't care what the stats are heading into the postseason. Uh, this was one of the worst Worst teams that Patrick Mahomes uh, and that Chiefs team, especially offensively, has had all season long. And it just feels, and he wasn't even the best player on this team, but it just feels like when it matters most, Patrick Mahomes is the guy that I want to have at the quarterback position because he's going to get it done. He's not going to make dumb plays that, uh, that cause loss of yardage or, you know, cost you games or anything like that. He doesn't throw necessarily passes that I'm like, that's going to get picked off. Wow, it got picked off. And now we're in a bad situation. He just doesn't make those plays very often uh, when they do. When he does, they're few and far between. And there's plenty of other moments that he makes smart plays that he makes that are going to help you win football games. So whenever we have these conversations, 16 weeks out of the year, we're like, hey, it looks like Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in all of football. He's going to win the MVP. And rightfully so. Lamar Jackson was the best quarterback, the best player in all of football this entire season. But when playoffs when the postseason comes around. You're not going to get anything out of me other than Patrick Mahomes is the guy I want on my football team throwing the football no matter who they're playing against. I want Mahomes over just about anybody, not just about anybody, literally anybody. Give me Mahomes historically too. basically anybody other than maybe Tom Brady. I want Mahomes uh, other than maybe Tom Brady in those situations uh, up to this point. Four out of his six or four out of the six seasons he started as a quarterback. He has gone to the Super Bowl. That is not something that to just you know, scratch your chin out, wave your chin out or whatever the phrase is four out of the six seasons. He started, he has gone to the super bowl. He is two for three. When he gets there, two wins, one losses, two super bowl rings. The one loss was against a Tom Brady led Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. So what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas city chiefs? They're here to stay. It feels like, and it feels like this Kansas city chiefs team. I don't know who I like, unless Travis Kelsey retires, which, you know, that's not an impossibility. Um, but as long as he is there with Travis Kelsey, a decent enough receiving core, what have you, Andy Reid is still there, whatever. I'm pr- I'm pretty confident in the ability of Patrick Mahomes to get his team to, at the very least, the AFC Championship game. And then Patrick Mahomes is going to do whatever he needs to to get to the Super Bowl. And I have based you can match him up against pretty much anybody. And I'm like, yeah, I have I have confidence in Patrick Mahomes to get his team to the Super Bowl. He's just he's proven it time in time out again. Now, one of the the great runs uh, in playoff history. It's not even done yet. If they go on to win the Super Bowl, I think uh, according to DVOA, he's going to have the toughest run in the history of Super Bowls. If he goes through Buffalo on the road at Buffalo on the road at Baltimore, and then uh, in the Super Bowl against San Francisco, that will be the toughest run according to DVOA of a Super Bowl run that there ever has been. So we'll see, but you know, still, still a game to win, but Mahomes is already on a very historic uh, run here with this chiefs team. And uh, just, I, was there ever any doubt, I guess is what I should say. Was there ever any doubt? We did doubt him, but why was there doubt, I guess? Um, so, yeah, Chiefs are back to the Super Bowl. Fourth time in six seasons as Patrick Mahomes 
uh, as the starter for the Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, Kathleen, you know how they say homegrown's always better? You know, like homegrown beef, vegetables, and eggs? Yeah, I hear that a lot. Well, you know that the owners of 307 Real Estate were born and raised in Wyoming. And 307 Real Estate is a Wyoming-based company, so I guess you could call us homegrown? (laughs) Yes, I would agree to that. We do know Wyoming and what we stand for. Family, community, and country. This is your property with Kathleen and Jack and get it under contract. We are 307. We are Wyoming. 307 Real Estate. 307-763-1249. Okay, let's move on to the other game. The other game of the championship weekend, Detroit Lions traveling to San Francisco, 49ers. This game, to me, felt like the one that was in blowout territory, personally, but not in the way that I thought it was going to go. I thought San Francisco uh, matched up better against Detroit. I thought they were going to be able to slow down the run game of Detroit. I thought they were going to be able to get the pressure to Jared Goff, and Jared Goff is not good when handling pressure this season. He's been, the, I think, the best team or the best quarterback in the league when it comes to EPA per play uh, and whatnot when, when kept clean in the pocket. But when he's facing pressure, it steeply, steeply drops off, and that is a football team, the 49ers, who... Um, pressure the quarterback very off frequently and are very good at uh, turning those pressures into sacks. But that's not what happened in the first half of this video. Uh, I almost said video game in the first half of this game. Uh, the lions, they jumped out to a massive lead, uh, unbel- some unbelievable play calling, uh, getting people out in space, the speedy guys out into space, Jameer Gibbs, Jameson Williams had a touchdown off of a, a jet sweep essentially, uh, and getting those speedy guys out into space, which I, what's the, the classic saying, the speed is the speed is killer, whatever it is. Speed is the ultimate advantage really. And it showed because they were getting Jameer Gibbs, somebody who's incredibly fast as well, uh, as well as Jameson Williams out into space and was a difference maker in the first half of this game. Jared Goff was uh, behind a very, very good Detroit Lions offensive line, was not facing a whole ton of pressure in the first half, and he looked very, very good hitting the spots he needed to hit, reading the field very well and hitting his receivers. Uh, And their defense, from kind of out of nowhere, was getting stops. Their defense had not been very good all season long, especially when it came to stopping the pass, but they were making the stops that they needed to in the first half, and when they made those stops, they were capitalizing with points uh, in the first half that led to a 24 to seven leave, uh, 24 to seven lead. And then the second half happened and it was a completely different story, completely different story. Uh, the second half happens. 49ers were getting whatever they wanted on offense. They were running the football effectively. They were passing the ball very effectively. Brock Purdy kind of turned into a different animal. He looked like regular season Lamar Jackson when he was running the football. It was really weird. I didn't realize Lamar ja- or uh, Brock Purdy had that sort of athleticism to him. I didn't realize he had that sort of that sort of scramble ability to him. He was running the football and was very effective, uh, and it kind of added a different element to the game that I don't, I don't think the Lions were really ready for, especially in the second half. And they could not stop anything when the Niners had the football. Uh, the the Lions really really struggled. It felt like their defense put out everything that they could in that first half, uh, and then the defense just kind of fell apart. The the second half adjustments from the uh, Lions, or excuse me, the 49ers were just tantamount to how much this ja- this game changed, kind of flipped on its head in the second half. Christian McCaffrey as well. I, he doesn't, I mean, running backs in general don't get a lot of MVP uh, votes anymore just because it's a completely different league. It's a very quarterback heavy league, but I would argue there is not a more important player outside of the quarterback position than, than Christian McCaffrey because he provides such a much needed weight lifted off the shoulders of Brock Purdy, which Brock Purdy played very well in this game. He was pretty solid throughout the entire game, especially in the second half. 
Um, but part of that, I do believe, is the fact that Christian McCaffrey is such a animal at being able to get whatever he wants, both in the run game and as a dump out, uh, dump off uh, option for Brock Purdy, that he just he completely changes the the he completely changes the outlook and the framework of how to stop this this 49ers offense. I don't know how you stop this 49ers offense honestly. Uh Brandon Ayuk had I mean he didn't have the greatest game in the world, but he had one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. Uh, a tip drill that somehow he came down with and scored a touchdown with. Uh Debo Samuel is another guy, another receiver. He had a fantastic game. He felt it felt like he was all over the place and he wasn't even we weren't even sure if he was going to play this week and he was all over the field. Um and then Christian McCaffrey just able to really take lighten the load off of Brock Purdy's shoulders as a running back, uh, being able to hit a lot of the gaps that would be difficult for a lot of other running backs in this league and the speed, the explosion that he has in the back end is just, it's wild to see. There's not a more important player outside of the quarterback position on offense anyways in the entire league that Chris McCaffrey is at that t- at that position. Well, one of the great trades too, the 49ers were able to make was a Chris McCaffrey trade. Like we'll look back on that trade. It feels like, honestly, it feels like Chris McCaffrey has been with the 49ers and his entire career. He's only been there two years, I guess basically a year and a half. Um, but now at this point, I'm just like, yeah, Chris McCaffrey, he's a Niner running back always has been, but he had that stint, obviously start of his career in Carolina. Um, but he was dealing with injuries a lot of the time in Carolina and started with, uh, San Francisco was dealing with injuries a little bit in San Francisco as well, but he's been luckily very clear of the injury bug in 2024 and um, the, when he's on the field, when he has been on the field, he has been completely dynamite. Just one of the best athletes in the entire league uh, and his ability to run the football and be a very good receiver completely changes the complexion of this game. And basically every single game that he is in, uh, he provides just a completely different spark to this team that allows Brock Purdy to kind of excel at what he does uh, as well as, you know, uh, being able to run those play action plays and whatnot that give that difficulty to figure out what the 49ers are actually doing whenever they step up to the line of scrimmage. So I don't think, you know, Brock Purdy is a, he's had a very good season. Um, I do. I am in the boat of, I I think I've said this before. Um, I am in the boat that he benefits very highly from a lot of the stuff that he has around him. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is a very good receiver. Debo Samuel's a very, very good receiver. That's a very solid offensive line. Again, Christian McCaffrey, one of the best in the business at the running back position. And then George Kittle as well. George Kittle is very boomer bust, but he's very good at a multitude of things at that position, uh, being a blocking tight end or receiving tight end. He's kind of a very, uh, in terms of all around tight ends, he's probably the best at what he does because, you know, Travis Kelsey, the best receiving tight end. He's not the greatest in run blocking, um, but uh, George Kittle, you can leave him in there basically every single down and he's going to provide something on that edge of the football. He can block. I mean, he was blocking. He, did a, a had a, a pancake block on Chase Young. So he's somebody that can, you can kind of line in there, line up three, uh, three downs, no matter what. And he's going to be a big impact in both the running game and the passing game. So I am a, a believer in the fact that Brock Purdy is somebody that benefits from that. But I mean, any quarterback in the league would love to be in that situation that he's in. And I don't think it really matters um, what necessarily his numbers are or anything. It's just the fact that he is capitalizing on the weapons that he has around him in the best way possible. He's he, he's been better than Jimmy Garoppolo was in this position with those weapons around him as well. And I think that is really, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo almost won this team a Super Bowl. He was basically a quarter away from winning a Super Bowl with this team or a half away from winning a Super Bowl with this team. And I think Brock Purdy, is he's definitely a step up from Jimmy Garoppolo at the position. So, yeah, I, I, I think that he is, I don't think he's a game manager. I think that's probably kind of a derogatory term uh, that's kind of seen as a bad 
a bad term for um, quarterbacks for whatever reason. Um, but I, I think he's a step up from that. I don't know if he's a superstar or, you know, and, and he's a, he was on his way of winning the MVP, but I think, um, you know, I don't know if he's to that level, but he's, you know, in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL for sure. Um, and he does benefit from the play of the people around him, but there's nothing wrong with that. The fact that that's seen as um, a negative is, is odd to me in the NFL, just in general. The fact that that is seen as in a weird negative light is odd because he's getting the most out of the weapons that he has around him. And that should be a positive uh, because, you know, he's maximizing the talent that he has around him. That's a very good thing to do if you're a quarterback in the NFL or just, you know, in football in general. So, yeah, I think Brett Purdy, I think he's good enough to beat the Chiefs team as well. I think this team, this 49ers team is good enough to beat the Chiefs. Um, but, I mean, we'll have to see, obviously, and that's still to come. Also, the Lions, I am I, interested to see the mental, what their mentality of Lions fans was like heading into halftime. Because I have to imagine heading into the game, they were like, yeah, we're playing at house money. We're playing with house money at this point. They're further than they have been in, in, in decades, decades and decades and decades. Uh, and, you know, I can't imagine, you know, even the most diehard uh, Lions fan was probably going into that game. They wouldn't have said it, but they probably didn't have a whole lot of confidence going into that game. Um, and then they saw halftime and they're like, oh, my God, we're going to do it. We can actually go to we're good enough to beat anybody. We're good enough to go to the Super Bowl and we can beat anybody. Like I'm interested to see the change in mentality that they must have had heading from the beginning of the game, heading into halftime. And then even after that, heading into the fourth quarter where they kind of just, you know, they became the class, the lions of old, if you will. Um, and kind of reverted back to their old ways, blowing a 24 seven lead, giving up. What was it? 27 unanswered essentially, uh, in the second half. Um, but you know, it's just a, that's that's football, baby. They're they're here. Like the Lions are here. They're here to kind of stay, I think. Um, so they're going to be experiencing the highs and lows of playoff football for the future. It feels like. So we'll see um, how much further they get in the future. But I think a lot of people are going to talk about Dan Campbell's aggressiveness. But in my opinion, he made the right calls. He made the right fourth down calls. Um, it's a completely different conversation, obviously, if they end up converting those fourth downs that he ended up not converting. A couple drop passes, really just. Uh, brutal drop passes from Monroe St. Brown, Josh Reynolds as well, uh, just completely changed the complexion of that game and really swing it in their favor. But I, that's a team that Dan Campbell has been doing that all season long. So I, I don't have any problem with him continuing to be aggressive. That's a good mentality to have heading into the playoffs. You don't want to get away from that. Uh, you look at the, the Ravens. I mean, they were a team that did get away from their mentality all season long, kind of switched up how, what made them good heading into the playoffs when they were taking on the Chiefs, and it completely backfired on on them, and um, it, it ruined their season. Now, granted, they're both going to be sitting in the same position come Super Bowl time, but if you're the Lions, I feel much more happier about where they ended the season, more comfortable with where they ended the season than the Lions or the uh, than the Ravens do, because the Ravens, it's like if we just followed the same game plan that we'd had that they had had the entire season. Uh, Lamar Jackson plays like the MVP is it he is or what have you. Uh, and then they're probably all well on their way to Las Vegas as well. But the Lions, you know, they left it all out there. It felt like that was as good of a punch as you could have given the 49ers uh, without winning that game. And the Niners are just they're so talented at basically every position that they have uh, that, you know, they're of course, they were going to bounce back. It didn't really feel like 
there was any lead that was re- I felt entirely comfortable about giving the Niners heading into halftime where I was like, they're completely out of this now. This game is over. Unless they maybe score heading into halftime, a touchdown heading into halftime to go up 31 to seven. That would have been a huge thing. But even, I mean, look at the final score it was 34, 31. They would have won that anyways. If even if the um, second half played out the exact same way, the Niners still end up winning that football game. So yeah, it just, it just felt like inevitable at that point. Um, especially after the, those fourth down drops that the, the momentum had completely shift to the Niners side and um, yeah, the, the Niners were able to, they had the talent to be able to come back from that deficit and win the football game. So Niners, Chiefs, Super Bowl, shout out to the Lions. The Lions, it's going to get interesting this offseason, though. I will say that the, the Lions are going to have an interesting offseason to try to figure out because Ben Johnson is almost certainly leaving. He's going to become a head coach and his ability to play call is one of the best in the league, if not the best in the entire NFL. Uh, and losing that at your offensive coordinator position, what he's been able to get out of Jared Goff, who he's really transformed into a very solid quarterback at that position. Uh, what he's able to get, what he's able to get out of Sam Laporta, Amon Ross St. Brown, who are both, I think, very good players, but offensive coordinators like that don't just grow on trees. That is not something that is very easily replaceable. So I do think there might be some sort of regression to the means a little bit for the Lions, uh, because I don't know if they're going to be able to hire out an offensive coordinator who is as good at developing a game plan like um, Ben Johnson is, because he's almost certainly going to get a head coaching job and whoever they get or whoever he goes to is getting a very, very good offensive minded play caller uh, at their head coaching position. And uh, I think that's going to be a very difficult thing for the lions to find and replicate, but you know, they haven't made a mistake in terms of decision-making when it comes to coaching selections so far. So I could be completely wrong about that could be completely wrong and they could hire somebody some some wonder kid out of the Rams system or the the Chiefs system or whatever, and they're right back where the Niners system and they're right back where they were. And we have a Mike McDaniel situation where he just shows up. Hey, offense is transformed. They're even better than they were a year ago. But that's you know neither here nor there. That's a lot harder to do than uh, I think people give it credit for. So we'll see. We'll see with the Lions. Um, but uh, yeah, still a good season. I mean, the Lions have nothing to really. Again, this they're playing with house money at this point. This is as far as they've ever been. Uh, this is the greatest season in probably in the history of the Lions franchise, at least since I've been alive, easily since I've been alive. So playing with house money, it's a good season regardless. And again, it felt like they left the field having given uh, the 49ers their best punch. So yeah, good Lions, but Super Bowl. We'll have a more of a preview for the Super Bowl uh, next week because it's Pro Bowl this upcoming week and then the week after is Super Bowl week. So that Monday, we'll talk a little bit more Super Bowl preview. So stay tuned for that. Whether it's installing a new system or taking care of what you have, there's a lot to consider when it comes to heating and cooling your home or small business, and that's where Alpine Climate Control excels. See more about the systems they install and service, and even schedule a consultation online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. You can also stop by and see their showroom with all working models of gas fireplaces, pellet stoves, pizza ovens, and more. Alpine Climate Control, just north of Sheridan College at 2705 Coffin Avenue in Sheridan. Okay, to wrap things up for the show here today, we're already at 43 minutes. I cannot believe how much this has flown by. I talk, I took, I talked about um, having people barge in on you while you're taking a dump ski for the first 11 minutes of this show. So where else are you going to get that, huh? Where else are you going to get that? Only at the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. Thank you guys for all for listening. Thank you for getting for the, through that first 12 minutes. I appreciate that. I'm just trying to be a little relatable here. Uh, to close out the show here today... 
It was a big football weekend, but you know what? We're not going to talk about football to end this show today. You know what we're going to talk about? The Baseball Hall of Fame, the most interesting thing to talk about in the middle of January, that's for sure. Uh, the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame, probably, it probably goes, the, it's tough to say, but maybe the best Hall of Fame in professional, at least in, in American professional sports, uh, up there with the NFL Hall of Fame. But I think the Baseball Hall of Fame kind of has a, a certain zeal to it, if that makes sense, that kind of makes it a haven for baseball freaks you know what i mean kind of different than the nfl one does it's also kind of in a a better area in my opinion cooperstown new york kind of a nice little quaint town in the state of new york that's kind of all baseball and the the museum's just kind of smack dab in the middle of that little town uh kenton ohio is kind of like that is similar but there's just kind of a different vibe to it in my opinion i don't know i i've never been i've never been but that's just kind of the vibe i get when i'm looking at the baseball hall of fame versus the Hall of Fame, the the football Pro Football Hall of Fame in the middle of Canton, Ohio. They both kind of follow the same um, idea. I, I'd be curious to see if they're both like architect, architect. Is that a word? Architect, architectured, whatever, uh, by the same person because they kind of have the same vibe. There's like a baseball field behind the Hall of Fame uh, in Cooperstown. There's a football field behind the one in Canton. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned if they were kind of created in the same. One was created in the the same light as the other, which I think the Baseball Hall of Fame was first, but. Um, yeah, the Baseball Hall of Fame, super cool, and they had the 2024 inductions uh, recently. This was, when was this, Friday, if I remember correctly? Thursday, Friday, last week, and we had three players get in, all deserving, in my opinion. Adrian Belter got in, Todd Helton got in, Joe Maurer, they all got in. It was kind of a, a smaller list than I think we've seen in years past, but still three players, all deserving, who got in. Adrian Beltre, absolute no-doubter. 3,000 hitter, you know, tons of all-stars, was a very solid third baseman for many teams in the MLB. Todd Helton was cool to see to get in because I don't know how many people, he he was a quieter player, you know, he did not, wasn't necessarily, you know, loading up the stat sheet as the, some of the other players of that generation did. Uh, This was kind of towards, he started his career in 1997, kind of towards the tail end or the tail end slash peak of the, of the steroid era. And um, he was not somebody that was kind of following in that same light. Obviously he didn't hit for, you know, a gargantuan amount of home runs. I think the most he had in a season was 49. If I correct, if I remember correctly in like 2001, he did have a couple seasons of a hundred plus RBIs. Uh, and he was very good at getting on base. He was a consistent 400, 450 on base percentage type of player. So he was a little different uh, from the other first baseman of that era and just players of that era sluggers, quote unquote of that era. He was a big doubles guy. He was not necessarily a huge home run guy, even though he was playing at Coors. Uh, so it was cool to see him get in. He wasn't, yeah, like I said, not the flashiest player in the world. He didn't win any MVPs or anything like that. He was a five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove player, four-time Silver Slugger, uh, and he won a batting title one year as well. Um, but he was, at the very least, he is the best player, my opinion, probably the best player in the Rockies franchise in their history outside of maybe Larry Walker, but, you know, that's up for debate. Obviously, Larry Walker Larry Walker started in a different location, but Todd Helton, from beginning of his career in Colorado to the end of his career in Colorado, he was the best player on that franchise's, in that franchise's history. So, it's cool to see him get in. Uh, he played 17 years, which, I mean, that feels, I mean, that is a lot, but it feels like he played a shorter amount of time, if that makes sense. And I guess this is just, you know, the fact that I didn't necessarily grow up watching a lot of the Rockies. This could be different for everybody else. 
Um, but he, he, he retired in 2013, which it feels like he retired, you know, that, that was 10, 11 years ago. It feels like he retired like five years ago. So, uh, yeah, Todd Helton totally deserves it. In my opinion, if you're the best player in the history of a franchise, you automatically deserve to get in, in my opinion. And that's Todd Helton. Uh, Todd Helton is that for the Rockies. So it's I'm glad to see him get in. He never hit, didn't eclipse 3000 hits or anything like that. Um, he had 2,500 hits to, at the end of his career. Um, but again, he was just very, uh, a consistent player, a very good first baseman defensively as well. Um, and an all-star, you know, from about 1999 to 2004, very, very good first baseman at that position in the early 2000s. So, and again, the best, best player in that franchise's history. So it was, it was cool to see Todd Helton get in. Uh, and then Joe Maurer, another one that I, for some reason, I think got some controversy, uh, got a, garnered a little bit of controversy from a lot of people. Um, but somebody else, he, he was somebody else that started in 2004 and he Basically from 2004 to 2013-ish, maybe a little bit later than that as well, was the best player at that position. A very, very difficult position to play night in, night out for 162 games. Joe Maurer was that dude. He had some injury uh, problems crop up towards the end of his career, and he ended up playing first base towards the end of his career a lot more. Um, but when he was playing catcher, he was the best player at that position. Won an MVP as a catcher, which to do that as a catcher is no joke. Um, but the fact that he was just defensively and, and, uh, offensively the best player at that position at, at probably the hardest position, one of the hardest positions in all sports, not just in baseball catcher does not get enough credit for how difficult that job is, uh, to be able to do that 140 games out of the season is not an easy thing to do. And the fact that Joe Maurer was playing at that position, uh, for a solid 10 to 11 years when he was the best player at that position, when he was playing it. Uh, is is a testament to how good he was. He was a similar to a similar type of player to Todd Helton where he wasn't going to hit a whole lot, a lot of home runs, but he was an extra base hits guy. He was going to get on base. He had a couple seasons where he was a, a 400 plus on base percentage guy, um, but not somebody that really blew out, you know, didn't blow anybody away in terms of his power numbers or anything like that. Um, but, you know, his MVP season in 2009, he had 300, uh, he had 365 of 444 on base percentage. Just a guy that was very, very difficult to get out uh, at uh, and, and, and a catcher. Again, catcher is not like think of the catchers, the best catcher in the game right now. Probably no, I'm trying to think right now. Probably Will Smith for the Dodgers. I don't think that's I don't think that's too controversial. I'm trying to think to myself right now who the best catcher in all of baseball is offensively. It's probably Will Smith. Uh, defensively, it was probably Yadier Molina up until a season ago, and now defensively, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know who the best defensive catcher is. Um, but when Joe Maurer is playing, point is late two thousands, mid twenty ten, mid mid two thousands, all the way up to uh, the early twenty tens, it was without a doubt Joe Maurer, best catcher in the league. That is who you go to uh, if you're looking for best defensive catcher, best offensive catcher. So the, it was surprising to me this to see that this was as controversial as it was. He did only have 2,100 hits to end his career, but again, he dealt with a lot of injuries towards the end of his career. Wasn't nearly as good uh, as uh, he was towards the beginning of his career, but then, I mean, that's not really saying much. That kind of goes for every single player uh, to ever play the game of baseball. Um, but yeah, somebody that if you're dominant at that position, at the catching position, as dominant as he, as he was, just purely the best catcher at that position for a solid 10 years. Uh, I think he deserves uh, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And again, six All-Stars as well. Five-time Silver Slugger at the catcher position, three-time Gold Glove, and a three-time batting title winner as a, as a catcher. That is not something that is easy to do as a catcher. Um, so made sense to me, Joe Maurer getting in. 
I, uh, I have all the praise in the world of Joe Maurer because of his ability to play that position. Just the, the most, one of the most grueling positions in all of sports, having to do that for 140 games a year. Uh, you get 20, 20 games break. You get to DH every now and again. Um, just not, not an easy thing to do uh, in sports. So Joe Maurer to me, definitely, definitely deserved it. Uh, a lot of the people will look at like the stats and stuff and probably say, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about him getting in, but if you saw Joe Maurer play from the mid two thousands on, then you knew, I mean, he was just the best player at that position. So, and that, that means a lot when it comes to getting into the baseball hall of fame. Another one, a snub, if you will, that I cannot believe has not gotten it. I cannot believe has not gotten in Billy Wagner. He went for his ninth try and he's probably going to get in next year as his 10th try. But the fact that he's got to wait nine times to get into the baseball hall of fame is blasphemous. He is the best, the greatest left-handed reliever in the history of baseball. It's not necessarily that close. The second best to have over 600 innings pitched um, right now is probably, and this is mind blowing to me because I was looking at a lot of the stats in terms of strikeouts per nine innings, uh, ERA plus the FIP, all that stuff. The second best left-handed reliever of all time, probably, and this is crazy. I, I couldn't believe it either. When I was looking at all these stats, these two were kind of next to each other. When I was looking at all these on the fan graphs, a lot of the, the fan graphs chart, these two were right next to each other. A lot of the times one and two, it was a role Chapman. And he is probably the second best uh, left-handed reliever of all time. And I don't think a Chapman is probably going to get in. I, I would, if he retired right now, I don't think Aroldis Chapman gets in, but if you look at a lot of his uh, advanced analytic, uh, analytics, looking at guys with over 600 innings pitched, um, Aroldis Chapman's up there with one of the best left-handed relievers of all time, one of the best relievers of all time, and probably the second best left-handed reliever of all time behind Billy Wa- uh, Billy Wagner. And I hear the John Francos and whatnot. Uh, I get you're yelling at me. I understand Hater's going to have be in that conversation probably when he retires. Um, but Billy Wagner far and away the best hand left-handed reliever of all time. And the fact that it's taken nine tries for him to get in just mind numbing, completely mind numbing. He is the best left-handed reliever in the history of baseball. He should be in at this point. I cannot believe he's going to get in this 10th try. I really hope so. He had like 73% of the vote or something like that. And you have to have 75% or something like that. It's kind of weird how they do the voting system, but he's close. He's like really, really close. Uh, and I think he's going to get in his 10th try, but the fact that he didn't get in any earlier is insane to me because he's the best left-handed reliever of all time. And the second best left-handed reliever of all time is probably a role Chapman. And that is insane. That is insane. And you know, a role Chapman, a very good left-handed reliever, not, you know, it gotten a little bit more away from him in the previous years in the last two or three years. But when he was with the Cubs, the early stint with the Yankees, I mean the Reds as well, he was basically unhittable. He kind of uh, didn't necessarily usher in the 100 mile an hour plus relievers out of the pen, but he was, I think, the face of it when it really started picking up steam. So, yeah, uh, Billy Wagner, get him in, get that man into the pro football or pro football into the baseball hall of fame. He absolutely deserves it. He's the best left handed reliever of all time. We need a lefty. There's no lefties, no left handed relievers in the hall of fame. That's a fact. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. That is a true stated fact. No left handed relievers of all time. Uh, no left handed relievers. Have, are, are in the Hall of Fame or in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the best one of all time needs to get in there. He needs to get in there. Just throw him in. Just get him in there. Voters, I'm talking to you. Writers who vote on this stuff, get Billy Wagner into the Hall of Fame. Please. He deserves it. Best left-handed reliever of all time. We got him sitting outside. Like, what are we doing here? Okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the show today. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast. Please remember... 
to leave a rating if you do not mind on any of those podcasting platforms that you do listen to the show on. Helps the helps the show grow a little bit more, gets us into the trending sections of those popular podcasting platforms, and uh, just makes us a better show overall. So I'd greatly appreciate it if you did that. Uh, and uh, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you guys very much for tuning in again. We'll be back next week, and we'll preview a little bit of the Super Bowl next week between the Chiefs and 49ers. We'll see you there. See you next week. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. <laughs>